0: Hi, my name's Paul Kennedy, and I'm a sport reporter for the ABC, and when I'm not listening to the ABC, I listen to Radio Karam. Tune in and enjoy. Welcome to Life for Locals. I'm Nicole and thank you for joining me on Radio Karam. I'm keen to explore our local community and bring to you information about local events, businesses and people that make our community special. On today's show, I'm joined by Emmy from Soviet Garage for Comrades. He has quite the exceptional story tra- uh, tying in his growing business with efforts to help families in Ukraine during the war. Welcome Emmy. Welcome, thank you. So Emmy, tell the listeners a bit about yourself. Where did you grow up and what's your background?
1: So I grew up in uh, Melbourne in a suburb of Hyatt at the time, which is a bayside suburb, and uh, upbringing. um, So I'm being born in Australia. My father's uh, from Israel. My mother's from the former Soviet Union. Um, Having a lot of influence on both sides, I was able to sort of retain probably closer to the Soviet side because there was a lot of like um, push for um, education and sort of want to grow and develop and all that stuff and obviously being motivated to uh, stay or capture my roots as I was growing up. Um, grew up, just went to a public school, local to the area. I think it was uh, Brighton High. I went for a while and sort of progressed through the life um, in the various facets. Um, I fell into construction, which is where I am now. And when COVID hit in uh, 2020, I think it was, I can't even remember now. Yeah. Um we had to deal with challenges uh, when it came to work being in construction, obviously, being constraints with what um, our politicians uh, bestowed on us. So, a friend of mine and myself, uh, Michael, who's unfortunately not here today, uh, he works um, internally in the, the banking system, wanted to explore the facets of uh, bringing something in from overseas that was cool and collective. And because we were limited on what we could do, you know. Um, after hours, we can only do it during the day, we sort of brainstormed and came up with the idea of um, using our pre-existing contacts in Ukraine to start bringing in various uh, Soviet collectibles that would appeal to, you know, the Australian
0: public. Fantastic. Um, So let's talk about Soviet Garage. Um, What is it? How did it get started? When did you start it? Who's the team?
1: So the team is essentially in Australia, it's uh, myself and Michael. We work out of Michael's father's garage in Morabin. It's a small uh, garage um, in, on Isabella Street, just does, you know, your standard mechanical work. And we sublet that space in, in a sense to start our business. But prior to us opening up uh, Proprietary Limited as we're running today, um, Michael's father, because they all grew up in the Soviet Union, um, cars were, you know, 10-year waiting list and all this sort of thing. So they had, um, he had a dream to bring over um this particular car was called a Volga. It was like this black car that the KGB or government officials would drive in and it would be very – like it's a very nostalgic thing for him. Yeah. So because my wife, Yana, is uh, Ukrainian um, and she's from there and she's been in Australia like I think 90 years or something like that now, there was still very, very good contact with family that were still there and till this day are still there. Exactly. So went through the channels and we sourced the car for his father, went through all the necessary, you know, rigmarole orders, as you would going through customs and all that mm-hmm. stuff and brought it in and – that idea happened consecutively. Whilst we brought in that car, um, someone gave me the idea of these Soviet motorcycles. They said, "Oh, you know, there's a need for this in Australia because people want to um, ride a motorbike with a sidecar, but the market here is very limited on it." So again, I went back to my source and I said, "Look, can we, you know, do something? Can we bring it in?" And coming through all the challenges with, um, you know, bureaucratic uh, white paper in, in Ukraine and then bribes and all this stuff, if we managed to import. Uh, four of them, and it was in about 2018 or 2019 that we did this, um, came to Australia, paid for all the effective fumigation, all this sort of stuff, and I sold those instantaneously. At that point, Michael turned around and said, oh, Dad is very happy with his car. You know, he wants to bring another one in. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing this stuff with motorcycles, and it seems to be there's some sort of interest behind it. He said, okay, it's not you're not going to make a million dollars on it, but at least it's a cool story to talk about. And, you know, we can have fun along the way and then, you know, get ourselves some cool cars and, you know, the typical, you know, boyish uh, drama you would think about. So we then began um, Soviet Garage for Comrades. Um, Name wasn't very hard to think of, obviously, you know, trying to appease to the Australian market. And in a nutshell, we took the space where um, we're now and we established a small amount of subcontractors which we used at the time to re motorcycles, which were purchased from villages, from people who didn't use them anymore, um, and so on and so forth. And to date, I think we've gone through about 60 or 70 motorcycles. I don't know the quantity anymore. As time progressed, um, we realised that um, our supply chain was limiting our um, sort of supply to Australia. Mm. And as a result... We had to hire a warehouse there. We hired a warehouse of some 10,000 square metres. Um, it's in a village that's about uh, 140 kilometres south of Kiev, which is the capital city of Ukraine. Yep. So secluded that it doesn't even have roads, marked roads coming in. Um wow. population has, I think, from memory, about three or 4,000, but they're scattered over, like, you know, various parts. And mm. in that village um, we've got uh, – uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Roman Kostienko, who looks after all our um, daily things, so like sources, materials, and mm-hmm. himself under our wing, he employs – before the war we had uh, 22 staff yeah. running around uh, doing things like um, sourcing materials, cleaning parts, painting, um, making things up and that sort of thing. And as it progressed, people started to understand that um, this is very cool and you can get into the market a lot easier – than what you would buying yourself a Harley Davidson or an American car because it's yeah. just a lot cheaper. The demand isn't there, therefore we were slowly introducing it. So as time went on, we began a fan page and the fan page built from you know 10 members to like sixteen or 1,700 now in a yeah. short space of time. And um, we opened up a car club as well. So everything that we um, give to our clients, we supply them with Road Within Rego and they're able to do that. We don't not only sell uh, cars and bikes, we also sell – soviet nostalgica. so things like um watches flags uniforms uh shovels everything that anyone would ever think about if they ever like uh, thought about the soviet union mm. we would have something for so that's basically how it all started and how it is now
0: yeah fantastic i've had a look at your facebook page obviously and um i have to tell you guys some of the stuff is really cool so um it's i different. encourage you to go check it out um Can I ask what type of vehicles are the most popular and do you have any that are particularly rare? So
1: the Soviet Union, when it came to production of vehicles, they really, initially, they didn't produce much for the public. They produced them mainly for government. So... Anything that was produced for, you know, head parties or people like Stalin or Lenin alike, like mm-hmm. were very, very rare numbers and it's something that even we can't get a hand on because there's like three or four of them in the world and they're worth millions. Yeah. But in terms of popular cars, I would say we don't do that many cars. I would say we probably do about six or seven cars. Um, out of the cars, we have a version of the VW Combi, you could say, on steroids. Mm-hmm. It looks like something out of the apocalypse. Uh, we get quite a few orders of those. <laughs> It's a four-wheel drive van sort of thing. But otherwise, motorcycles seem to be very popular because they're at a price point that people can afford. Yes. Um, And also because Australia is an ageing population, um, a lot of people who previously rode bikes in the 70s and 80s and the like – don't have the confidence as much to ride solos by themselves. So they like to have a sidecar with them and perhaps take like their wife and all that sort of thing. So it appeases to people. And plus the fact that a lot of it is uh, um, ex-war material and ex-police stuff, it appeals mm-hmm. to people. So those line of police motorcycles or we have a firefighting motorcycle, yeah. so it's got like a pump on it that you know they would use in villages to – put out a fire, things like that. So very, very unique thing. So I would say that probably the most popular thing is either the military motorcycle or um, we have an amphibious vehicle that we're bringing in now, which yeah. is very cool. So that's cool. sort of what we're doing.
0: Oh, fantastic. And do you have a personal favourite?
1: <sighs> Difficult to say. I mean, like I'm not an avid motorcycle rider. Mm. Um, you know, having a young child and wife always concerned about, you know, what you're doing on the road. Mm. I would say we have a model called the M72, which is a motorcycle with a sidecar that's made between 1940 to 1958. And just because it looks the part, you know that these motorcycles, where they came from, they would have been on the forefront of the war. They would have done something. They would have had some sort of impact to where we are today. And for me, it's not so much about selling the motorcycle it's about selling the story it's about making sure that history survives today and we all have a great understanding of where we actually came from because that's who makes us today
0: yeah absolutely absolutely um so you mentioned you have quite a large team in ukraine um they all have families of their own obviously how was their life affected when the war broke out
1: so it's interesting that you say that um in Ukraine, initially when the war broke out, um, they didn't introduce what's called mobilisation, so therefore they weren't taking people by conscription mm. automatically. Um, as time went on and Ukraine started losing troops, they brought in this Conscription Act which allowed any person between the ages of 16 and 60 to be a fit to go straight into the war. Yeah. With the exception of people who have um, disabilities um, and families with six or more children. Okay. So I was fortunate enough that my chief engineer um, has seven children. <laughs> So he was able to uh, retain it and go in and out, um, but we initially we had a team of twenty two um, at february before february twenty fourth of last year when the whole thing kicked off um, up until about March, uh, we had seven come back in bags. yeah, so it was a bit difficult in terms of you know how it is there. Look, any war scenario uh, restricts people from getting their basic consumables and you know transport and that sort of thing. Uh, it's very. I wouldn't say it's as terrible as it was six or eight months ago, but it's calming down, I can say. At the same time, resources are still scarce and people are still afraid to go outside. Male, Like in major cities, you will never have a male walking around the streets because they're worried about taking off and being taken to the front line. Yeah. So it's scary in that sense.
0: That is very scary and very sad. It is what it is. Yeah.
1: We're very fortunate to be where we are here.
0: Yeah, Um, and you talked a little bit about resources. Um, Can you explain for things like food?
1: Okay, so when the war broke out, everyone was obviously in hiding because the first thing that um, the other side sort of did was they knocked out all the infrastructure, so all the power stations, all the um, supply chains, uh, wheat production, this sort of thing. They closed all the ports and as a result what was happening was uh, Europe was starving of wheat because Ukraine is – Provides 30 or 40% of the European requirement for wheat. Wow, I didn't know that. As a result, they obviously were trading grains for, like, you know, different rice and things Mm. like that. So those particular. resources were depleted. So it meant also that the supply chains, like their supermarkets or their, you know, local markets would have limited supply, right? And again, because yeah. people can't go outside and they're worried about getting bombed and all this stuff, they couldn't tend to their farms, you know, cattle were dying and it caused a lot of issues. So what we did was we sort of look, we, we realized we had orders. We realized at the same time that they're human and we need to deal with it and we need to like be do the right thing by them and all this sort of thing. Because if we don't have staff over there, if we don't have people that care and deal with us, then we don't have a business. And that's really Absolutely. important.
0: And in such a small community as well. And like you said, quite isolated. It's quite Very isolated.
1: Typical. I mean, we have um, another gentleman in Odessa, which is a main city, but he doesn't mainly logistics stuff. It's my uh, wife's brother
0: mm.
1: um, that deals with all that. But like in, in terms of what we did, how we helped them out. So. We reached out to our members on our page and said, look, you know, this is a situation, we're working on orders, we're trying our best and he would show them footages of, you know, without obviously getting too dramatic about what's happening, just try to explain what the Western media aren't really portraying. And we would work out based on actual passports, like we would approach Roman, our engineer, and would say, listen, who do you have on team now? And he would give us a list of names and the list of names would be, you know, such and such and such and such. And we'd say, look, if you can provide us with their passports, and how many people they have living in their household, we will calculate based on our other contact in Odessa how much money to allocate to each person to spend in order to buy basic resources for these people so they're able to live. So that would entail basically um, Eugene ordering things from various um, suppliers directly from manufacturers if they still existed, bartering in some cases. So if you didn't have something, you would get something else and you would send care packages out. We still do it till today. It's obviously not as bad as what it was, but in the beginning from approximately February 24 till about, I would say, uh, September, October last year, Mm. uh, we were sending care packages every week. Um, And that's how we support them. Until today, we still do the same thing.
0: That's a fantastic initiative and um, I can easily imagine with the families of 20, was it 22 or 23? 20,
1: 22 initially. I mean, you have yeah. people who are single, some would have families, some would have yeah. grandmothers living with them, some of them were expats from uh, uh, countries like um, Belarus. So like, you mm-hmm. need to understand with everyone that's affected by this war, not, again, not getting too political, the Soviet Union was a country where You would have, you know, other unions combined. You'd have Georgia, Azerbaijan, you'd have everyone. And they virtually spoke the same language. They had no religious affiliation because communism didn't really allow religion. Yeah. So everyone was treated the same and everyone had the same ability to do everything. So therefore, everyone's in peace. Yeah. There's no segregation between it. They may look slightly different, Mm. but it's like saying this guy's from New South and we're from Tassie, you know. Yeah. We're not discounting the fact that it we're is what Australian. it is. Yeah. We're all Australian. We're Aussies, you know. Yeah. So it, it was a bit hard for them. And, and once we received, you know, passports and pictures and understood who we're dealing with, mm-hmm. we were able to work out, let's say, you know, this family has four children, therefore we need to provide, let's say, 20 kilograms of rice, which will last them two weeks or whatever yeah. it is and so on and so forth. We couldn't really provide them with perishable items so much yeah. because transport was very, very difficult, especially – when travelling from, let's say, supplies chains through the villages, um, there would be about 20 checkpoints, military yeah. checkpoints, which they would check wow. who's in the car, what's it for. Uh, sometimes you'd have to pay bribes to get it through because they were like, we need it for our soldiers, why are you taking this away from us? And you'd have to justify it and explain it. And in a country where it's operated virtually with, you know, bribes and that sort of thing, there's, you, got, you have to find ways around it. And there's no other way around it.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds like you and your team were able to navigate that quite well with the connections that you had Thankfully. to really do a lot of good for, for these families over there and um, going up, I would say, to about 100 people that you've helped to feed over that time. Plus. Yeah. Um, it's really fantastic to start with a business that was really just an interest um, and to know that you've been able to help so many people through that avenue. Um, what are the ongoing main challenges in U- Ukraine now? So
1: aside from, you know, petrol prices being through the roof because every time uh, the other side – I refer to them as the other side because I don't want to label them. They just – it is what it is. Um, They blow up infrastructure. They blow up petrol stations. They blow up refineries mainly. And the cost of um, petrol increases, diesel is scarce at all times. And as a result – food prices go up so if you know Mm. if flour was 50 cents a kilo or 30 cents a kilo it's like three dollars now that's that's the equivalent right so it still makes it scarce in order to uh, purchase uh, things we're still able to navigate it we've been able to do trades with certain uh, farmers so we're able to get the produce directly from the farms Mm. to them yeah and it's working relatively well it's just the checkpoints that are not really making it easy for us on all all counts on all fronts because the checkpoints are enabled are there to sort of pick up uh, perpetrators from, I say, the other side, and also to stop men from leaving the country because they don't want anyone deserting them. Fair enough. So to speak. So
0: yeah. Okay. Um, so um, how have you been able to help support your team through Soviet Garage specifically?
1: Uh, it's it's a challenging question. Um, aside from giving them financial aid so they can do their own thing, because it's gotten to a point where supply chains are opening back up and we're able to sort of. Um, they're able to look after themselves in a the point. We provide them with wages, yep. monthly wages, which we, funnily enough, it's very, very hard to get money across um, various avenues, you know, your Western unions and this and that and you pay percentages on it. And it's sometimes they are rejected based on the fact that, you know, there's a lot of money going into that country and it's a country of concern and all this stuff. So we, we found ways to navigate around it. And it's still a challenge every day as it comes to deal with.
0: Yes, I can imagine and, um, you know, good on you guys for continuing to to work through it. Um, you mentioned as well you've helped five of your team wanting to leave Ukraine to come over to Australia and join you, which is fantastic. Yes. Um, how are they liking Australia and living in our community?
1: So there was one from said other side, which mm-hmm. came over from it virtually was on the border. He is loving Australia. He's currently on a student visa now. He came on a um, visited visa for three months. Um, him and four others came at the same time. So he was a single guy like in his early 30s. Yeah. And the other four were couples, so male and female couples, and uh, they actually play in a band as well. Oh, great. For fun. <laughs> so... They when I when they came over, I drove them. that bought a car specifically to take seven people. I packed my daughter, my wife, and seven people, and drove them all the way to the Gold Coast. Oh, great! Took them on a holiday there. Brought them to the New South. Brought them back to Victoria. They've all got the correct visas now, and they're able to work. Some of them work in cafes. Some of them work for us in the construction company. So we've kept them pretty busy in the sense of like we've been able to give them the opportunity to create um uh funds in order for them to send back to their families who are not doing as great as they are here so they're very very fortunate for that we've set up housing they were living with us for the first three months and we eventually found them alternative accommodation and being the challenging mark that it is now uh with the rental crisis so it yeah. was uh, very challenging to find accommodation for someone with no rental history in the country
0: yeah i can imagine and um you know, I think they're very lucky to have had you guys help them out in that area. Um, But it's so glad to hear a bit of a happy ending um, in some aspects. And um, I can't imagine what it'd be like going on a holiday in the Gold Coast after what they've come from. Um, So, you know, it's a fascinating story, um, but it is good to hear that there's a happy ending um, for some of them and that you're continuing to help um, the people over in Ukraine. Um, So if people are at home are wanting to Uh, follow your story or find out more about Soviet Garage and your vehicles or perhaps would like to donate, do you have a page online that they can check out?
1: So we have a page on Facebook, namely Soviet Garage for Comrades. If you just type in the search, it'll come up. There'll be a bunch of membership questions, which will just sort of determine if you're human or not obviously, prior to joining. um, We don't have a direct link to donate money, but what we generally do is we ask the person how much they would like to donate. We don't have a mandatory amount. It can be $20, $100, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. We send an invoice, and from that invoice, um, we receive the money, we convert it back into USD, which is the currency they use there in the time of crisis because their money is worth nothing, so to speak. And we allocate – so, for example, if someone donates $100, for argument's sake, that $100 will feed – uh, I would say a family of two families of four for a week. Yeah. You know, and what we'll do is we'll buy a care package, we'll send it and then we get the family once they receive the food to take a picture of food on table s- saying thank you with a date and, and showing that it actually was received rather than going to a no call. So we yeah. don't take any admin charges, we don't take any taxes for it, it's just directly there and at the end of the day it brings us pleasure because we know that if we help them out further – it progresses, you know, in what we're doing and it helps a lot of people out in the long term.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, And, yeah, for anyone listening, definitely go check out that Facebook page, um, Soviet... um. Soviet Garage for Comrades um, on Facebook. Um, They've got some really interesting um, vehicles there and it's just fun to have a look even. Um, And, yeah, if you are willing to donate, um, it is an amazing cause. And um, I think all the listeners will agree, Um, Army and his team are doing a fantastic job of um, not only creating a unique business that in itself adds a bit of value to the community but um, really is um, reaching out for a better cause and to help people's lives in Ukraine. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for your time Pleasure. and sharing your incredible story, I mean. Um To those at home, thanks for listening to the show. If you haven't done so already, give Radio Karim a like on Facebook with Instagram to keep up to date on your favourite shows and when they are broadcasting. You can also check out your website, uh, the website at radiocarum.org. I'm always on the lookout for fresh content on Life for Locals and I know we have some exceptional people in our community. If you'd like to nominate a local person, organisation or business that has a great story, please email your suggestions to info at Enjoy your day and I'll see you next time on Life for Locals. Oye. IGA, Oye. it's shopping
1: Oye. nights. Oye. IGA, Oye. where the price Oye. is right. Oye. Seaford Oye. North IGA, Oye. for your groceries and liquor. Oye. IGA Oye. Express, Oye. there's nothing Oye. quicker. Hello, my name is Dave Graney. I am an underworld musician of many years standing. I'm here to ask you to tune into my fellow traveler, my comrade, Radio Caram.